Well, guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Beards, Brews, and Bros. I am your host, the Mossa Man, with my assistant co-host, Mr. Byron Moss. Hi, folks. Any further... Do what now? <laughs> said hi, folks. Hi, folks. All right, fair enough. And now, without any further delay, the man who will never be a chef because the stakes would be way too high, Mr. K-Rob. Oh. <laughs> uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> why, oh, dead. why are you you I, I i am the me i am the guy who i why just, just comes up with it though it, it's just it rolls off the tongue fucking why <laughs> good, uh, good morning I, everybody in the, in the uh, audio universe it's great to be back and this son of a bitch will never stop being full of dad puns. No, I never will. I, I mean, I just got to keep them going. Each and every week is just a new way for me to express just right. the depth of is, is Is the reason you have so many dad puns because you're a father of three now? Like, I have one child, so is, am I, like, lacking sufficient uh, dad bot, dad pun energy? Yes. It, it, it only quantifies your power whenever you have more of them. You're like and a so super saiyan dad. Exactly. Exactly. There, there's just no other way to explain it past that. I mean, and obviously, I gained one more ugly sweater for each uh, customs. <laughs> but you don't even have any ugly sweaters. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm eventually going to get there. I mean, to be fair, Jared's always been this way. Like, it's... I don't know if the kids give more power or what, but it's, it's pretty much been just him like this his whole life. Uh, you're a walking pun. I'm telling you. So, guys, let's go ahead and let's talk about a little bit about our show today. So, obviously, we've got a little bit of stuff, news to discuss in the nerd news. We're going to go over our top five favorite front persons, and we're going to go ahead and do the song review that we talked about last week that we divvied up amongst ourselves. We're also going to discuss the replay value of games, and we're also, in our rewind today, we're going to go over the OG original Pokemon games. I know those are some fateful classics for a lot of people. Well, just to, just to throw it out there, personally, I was a Pokemon Blue guy. I had red version, to be honest with you. I remember Christmas getting my first GBC and blue version. See, I, I'm the outcast here, then. I was the only one that had red version. I loved red version. Well, I got blue. My older brother, Bobby, got red. <laughs> Which, See, I mean, really the only difference in the version wasn't until the actual, what, the yellow version where we could actually capture both of them from both games, right? Uh, the difference between red and blue was simply what mods were available in the wild. That was the biggest thing. <laughs> That's what I kind of thought. It's gonna be fun, folks, to uh, to uh, share our our nostalgic memories of of a, uh, just a little a little and a, a monster collecting game that became a worldwide phenomenon. Which, geez, like this year will be twenty six years since those since those three games released here and here on the mainland. That is insane. Yeah, it is. My God. What, a, what a ride! Yeah, exactly. No Never thought a trading game, trading card game that was called Pocket Monsters would ever seek such popularity, did we? Or no. like bring some people together. Like, this is, this is a, like a fandom. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah. And, oh, it's massive. And one thing I do want to talk about later in the rewind is how the as how the original the original card game and the trilogy of Game Boy games helped bridge the gap for a generation with Pokemon Go. Oh. Oh, exactly, folks. It's it's definitely going to be fun. But what do you say, guys? We go ahead and get started on our nerd news. Let's do it. Oh, let's do it. Well, guys, thank you for coming back to the Nerd News Corner, where we're up to date on this week's nerd news. So, guys, let's go ahead and get this thing kicked off. Kyle, why don't you tell us what you got this week? Well, I got a massive leak pause that comes from... (laughs) Shut up, it's too early. But a massive leak just came out from Microsoft. Someone leaked all of the achievements for the release of GoldenEye to Xbox Live. Hmm. The, hmm. the entire list of achievements, which equals out to a 1,000 game score for GoldenEye 007, as you guys know, uh, Microsoft bought Rare. So basically they have, all, they have their entire IP of, uh, of titles in their, uh, in their catalog. And uh, and for Xbox gamers, you know, if you have Game Pass, you you see Banjo Kazooie, and you know, classic Killer Instinct, all you know, and, and Perfect Dark, a lot of uh, popular rare titles. But there was a leak of all of the of achievements for GoldenEye 007, the Nintendo 64 classic, which I am currently playing at the moment, for for the Xbox One. That completely threw me off because now. A lot of people are thinking, "Wait a minute, are we actually going to get this game released finally to um, and to an Xbox console?" And as you know, as big of a fan as we are uh, of the of the of that game, and that would be amazing. Now, in two thousand seven, there was an unfinished Xbox Live Arcade HD up a remaster of GoldenEye, and that and. Footage of the damn stage, you know, the, the famous opening stage from GoldenEye was released to the public of gameplay footage. And it looked amazing. So and that that's a big what if because that project that game was never never completed. So the big hope is that in 2022, and we're already off not off to the best start in 2022. Could we get some good news from the gaming world and from the console gaming world and bring GoldenEye home? Like, 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 think about it, guys. How, how much fun have we had all doing multiplayer of GoldenEye in our lives on the Nintendo 64? Well, you've always been getting hostile with the Devostal, for sure. I am the only person who, who, who is the, who is the uh, golden gun with the DD-44. Uh, I had a pistol on that game. Nobody knows why, and I'm not telling my secret, just like those Bush Beans commercials. Uh... But the fact is, like that, uh, GoldenEye is one of the biggest multiplayer party games of all time. I it, it popularized that style of first-person shooter, like we have with Call of Duty, Halo, in the last twenty years. But it all started there. And imagine being able to do that now in twenty twenty two with your friends on Xbox Series X, Series S, Xbox One, or imagine online GoldenEye. See, that would be perfect because that would be a good game changer to a classic i'd be happy to see that kind of gameplay you know and nintendo i would have been happy if nintendo would actually do it the right way and done justice versus 
the Wii release. Remember that? Uh, yeah, and I was not a fan. Our our, our uh, beloved friend Matt Whitworth bought it because he's a big mark for GoldenEye like we all are, probably bigger, and he just was not impressed. Well, a lot of it was people were excited about the controls, being able to aim and shoot like in Resident Evil 4, you know, the things that the, uh, we pioneered. But once again, you got solid controls over great gameplay. Yeah. And that's what yeah. kind of one of the things that some producers are notorious for. They would rather have hardware sufficiency versus having a good playable game. And uh, and I'm sorry, but I'm sorry to all these to all these developers who don't, who don't have their priorities in order. But as a gamer, the most important thing, besides the fact the game looking good, is for the game to feel good when you play it. Well, like, I mean, that's it, way it, more important. Well, from a hardware sense, they were happy with the way it performed, but from the sense of the gameplay and the storytelling, it just was not a good copy paste. It just. I didn't really think they did much upscaling to the graphics. They really didn't do a whole lot to it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was just... And, folks, obviously, we'd love to hear your opinion on it as well, too. It's just... It's hard to recapture a good remake. Some people are really good at it. Some just just aren't. And a lot of times it depends on the studio in charge, the people overseeing the project, and how much care is put into into the into that property oh and a lot of times with butchered remasters you see that that it's just a, it's just a come up rock star um i mean say what you want about konami but the metal gear hd remakes were treated with with great integrity where in rockstar it's just as a cash grab because people see the name grand theft auto and buy it anyway but that, oh, that exactly. and, and, but in console gaming news, that's what we got for this week—a potential leak for the return of GoldenEye to console gaming. That's huge. Oh, for sure, definitely. Well, guys, on the music front, looks like another artist has followed suit to the boss. ZZ Top actually sold their music rights for fifty million dollars. Sheesh, that's a that's a hell of a chunk of change. Who'd they sell to? Oh, they sold it to, I believe, Sony, if I'm not mistaken. Sony or... uh, I would have to do a little bit more research on that, but it was just... That's another big thing. A lot of these guys are cashing out now, though. That's what's crazy and blowing my mind. I mean, ZZ Top is... Like, they're not spring chickens anymore. So, I mean... (laughs) Well, and Dusty's not alive anymore, either. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I don't blame any of these older fans and artists, like, going, like, you know what? We've had our run. We're good. We did what we want to. I don't know if we're going to continue touring or whatnot. We're just going to sell our rights, get get a lump sum, and just live, live comfortably the rest of our lives. Well, you just got two guys left, and the original core group was only three. Their bass player passed away, I think, what, this last year, year before last? Something like yeah. that? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it honestly makes sense for them, you know. And plus, hey, 50 mil, you know, you cannot tell me that's not a smart move. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great it, move. Splitting it between the two of them, you know, 25 and 25, shit. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, always is, man. Always. But less that. That's that's really the big thing going on right now. It just seems like a lot of these artists are finally either getting off their IPs and just go ahead and selling their music rights. It, it's, I, I guess it's that time because there's another thing here recently as well, too. There's a lot of artists that are trying to get back into owning their own music. And modern day, very few people actually own their music rights. 
I mean, it, you're not wrong. It's like, I mean, the, I guess the biggest one was Kurt in Day and Age, who's like trying to get the rights to their music back is Taylor Swift and everything she's doing, where she's going back and rewriting all the music to all her songs. That way she has the rights to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the best way, honestly, to do it. I mean, but a lot of these guys and stuff, they're just, they don't care. It's the ownership strictly goes to the record company. And that's how these guys are, you know, companies are staying afloat. They're not taking care as well of the artist. Well, at that point in time, it's kind of on the artist to be like, when you go into negotiations, you need to be, make it where you have the rights to your music. Like, I guess the biggest thing is like, so a lot of these artists are so desperate to make it big that they, they don't care, they don't read the fine line and sign the dotted line, like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm getting paid a buttload of money. Yeah, well, no that's matter what they're what. looking at it as. That's all they care about is they're making money for the now. The well, Island Boys? Comes. A big example of that is they're kind of like the big thing now, right, current thing going on in the news right now with music is like they're kind of mess, like, I guess having some feuds with some people. But yeah. like, like, stay like, like, we're making a buttload of money, we're making a buttload of money. It's like, yeah, you are to a point, but you gotta think your guys that wrote your contract are the one that's gonna keep most of the royalties and keep all the other stuff there. Yeah. The only way an artist really ever gets anything else more past that, unless they own the actual property or music, is like say for example they partner up and say, "Oh hey, you know I have a certain model made with you know for Gibson, you know they've got this and that, and you know you're getting sales off of that guitar." From that company or you're you know marketing a certain item like hey this is so-and-so's signature drum kit you know you just don't see many people making it out of that. there's a lot of you know the one-hit wonders out there and the ones that you know obviously they invested their money right and did it the right way they were golden but you know it's a big deal whenever obviously the record company can just own it and they can not have to worry about paying the artist anymore yep exactly well, Byron, what do you got on your side of the fence? Like I said, oh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of jumping into the console thing with uh, K. Rob here. Um, we had a recent supposed leak on the new Pokemon Legends of Arceus. Mm. Oh, that's releasing later this month. I am super stoked for it because it's it's a uh, a fresh take on the Pokemon genre. But the most recent leak, again, it's just a leak. There's nothing right. confirmed yet is they're removing certain elements from the original games. Uh, currently, what they has been really, uh, leaked is they're re- going to be removing uh, Pokemon skills, uh, breeding, held items. Then these are features that have been in place since... So these features have been in place since Gen 2, Gen 3. And a lot of fans aren't necessarily too happy about it. Because any it, idea why that is the case? Um, honestly, I would say they're, tr- they're probably trying to change it up a little bit. Uh huh. Like it's it's the other thing we think of like it, it's the gameplay from what I see. It looks very much kind of like Breath of the Wild. Essentially, the premise of the game is you're pl- you're playing in a uh, early Hoenn area. Like this is like. As far back as we've ever been in a Pokemon universe, like, like actual play, so like it's a lot more exploration where you get to kind of like instead of just like oh you run through the wild grass and oh hey you find a wild Pokemon, it's there's wild Pokemon in the overworld you get to kind of explore you gotta 
kind of like observe and kind of get to like kind of understand like the habits of the Pokemon. So is this would this be considered a precursor title by any means? Yes, yes, this is a precursor title. Okay, because you're such a so, you're you're exploring uh, the whole uh, uh, early Hoenn region. Essentially, which a per- kind of premise of the thing is. It's interesting, but like I said, it's with no breeding that kind of like makes it where you have to actually spend the time to grind and try to find the right mods with the right IVs and stuff like that if you want to play competitively. So it kind of makes you wonder, like, will this actually have a competitive side to it, or is this going to be a purely an RPG love story kind of thing, where it's there's no, no real competitive likeness to it, or the competitiveness is going to be a lot more random? Because like breeding was a big thing for like getting the right like the right IVs, the right EVs and stuff like that for your mods. Yeah, I'm about to say it, it. It definitely has some elements that I'm intrigued with that could do a lot more. So I, I mean, I'll be excited to see how it turns out. Me too. Uh, as, as soon as I can get my hands on a copy of it, I will be playing it, and then I'll be probably on here giving you guys my personal review of it. Because, like I said, it's this is this is very interesting. Like, if this succeeds, we could possibly see a similar thing in like any of the regions, like. Think of it this way, because we're going to be talking about the original games. Can you imagine like a game where you actually get to see the birth of uh, Mewtwo in a Pokemon, like, in the original Kanto region? Oh wow, yeah. that would be amazing! Like just that think would of definitely that. be interesting. So, like I said, it's this is it, the the presence for this thing to succeed could open the door to a lot of things. Like I mean, uh, in Ruby and Sapphire, even. Um, the whole uh, original uh, or the remakes, Alpha Sapphire, Alpha, and uh, I can't remember what the Ruby one was, but anyway, like imagine playing like when uh, in the precursor era with Groudon and Kyo- uh, Kyogre, I think is what's called, like like that kind of thing. Like is it getting games like that where you play like in the pre-era stuff? Like that's that to me. That kind of thing sounds really interesting and intriguing. I think it'll be a good way. It's a good new take on Pokemon. I mean, I played a little bit of Shield. I ended up buying it. I never finished it. I need to finish it. But I'm really hoping eventually Nintendo gets on the bandwagon and starts doing more with like their achievements and stuff in their uh, games. Achievements is never been a Pokemon thing. It's po- po- I'm just speaking generally for Nintendo, like you know. Certain titles that they have on there would be nice to have, especially yeah. if there's in there's in game achievements in some of their games. But I would love to see them, you know, the different things, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, but it's it's a we'll keep you posted on this thing, uh, and I said we'll we'll see how this goes. Exactly. Well, guys, I think that was a hell of a nerd news segment. What do you say we go ahead and dive into our top five lead singers? Uh, this is gonna be fun. I'm with it, and one of them is my is my current PC background. I just want to go ahead and throw that out there. I had a very difficult time making a list because you know there's just you almost need a top twenty five to give mm-hmm. some of these guys justice, and it's just so hard to find where they fall in the grid. You know? Yeah. Of course. I I, I have to I, I have an honorable mention on my list. Like it's it's a it was tough to pick this one because like, there's one person I really want to add to it, but just it's like I I couldn't do it. Oh, I completely understand. I, I I tried to keep out my honorable mentions just because one I felt like they should have placed on the list and it just 
one of those things of like, well, you know what? I wish we would have done top ten instead of yeah. top five. Oh, if we had top ten, we would be talking about this for like two hours. Oh yeah, because you can dissect music and for time on end. So and you Byron, don't want to and you don't want to have leave anybody off. Yeah, exactly. Byron, well, why don't you go and start us off at what is it? Your number five. Number five for me is Lizzie Hailstorm. Uh, wifey, yeah. Like the rock genre has been so prominent, so predominantly dominated by males. Like what she's done to like really boost the like like females in the rock genre, like at least on the American side. Like I know Kyle's gonna have uh, uh, probably two, three. He's probably got the Euro front. Yeah, yeah. The two, Uh two, two to three is probably gonna be the lead singer of Nightwish. I'm gonna call it right now. Uh. How but rude, like, sir, to assume something. Uh, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like in, on the American front side, like Lizzie, like what she's done, and like the like she's like is so talented. And, and Hale, like I said, I, I kind of uh, did a lot of premise for mine off of people I've primarily seen live. And like I said, I've seen Hailstorm live, and like they put on a hell of a show. And like I said, Liz, Lizzie's just like. She's just got such a, a a a very feminine but feminine voice, but with a nice little growl to it for that, that rock feel. It's like it's just it's just it's just, yeah. That's what I can't really say much more than that. Like she's just a great singer with a great what they've done. I can definitely agree with her on five. And Kyle, what's what's your number five? Well, I'm gonna feel real bad about placing her at my number five just because I've been listening to this band before I met you. But uh, Christina Scabia of Lacuna Coil. See, you guys took a totally different approach than I did. I, I love it how you guys started out the bottom on that year. Good deal. And a good choice. But, uh, you know, for me, because that's when I started, like, really getting into, you know, goth a little bit more. And I remember I remember staying up one night watching, remember Headbangers Ball on MTV2? Oh, Yeah. And I was up one night, and I saw this song. I saw this video for a song called "Heaven's Alive." And I'm, like, I'm falling asleep, and the but then I see this woman with like just the most like she she looks like a like a, a goth siren, just luring you to crash your your ship into, and uh, you know into some rocks on the ocean. And then she's got this ethereal voice, and I'm like okay, and she's really hot too. Like who is this? And you know, like the band, just in general, they 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 had this alluring sound to them. So I had to seek out more and more, and then I find out this band called Lacuna Coil. They've been around since uh, since the '90s, and you know, since 2005. Like that was this was their first big break over in the states. Apparently, they performed Ozfest and stole the show. So I looked more into them and found myself addicted to this band and six to 16 to 17 years of enjoying this woman who at one point i think she did um yeah she her and lizzie hale were on the cover of rolling stones for the hottest chicks in metal hmm. now keep in mind like I, I don't know how old lizzie is but christina will be 50 this year and has looked 30 for the last 30 years like she's she's cheating the system she she certainly is cheating the death card there of and plus also also just on a on on a 
non-musical level she's a massive gamer which is a huge win as well i have i have all of their albums their most recent one came out in 2009 i believe 18 uh, black anima and that one is it's absolutely magnificent i could fall asleep listening to them all the time uh but she's my number five mossman who you got brother Man, I actually took the other route than you guys, but I did kind of stick to that same arrow genre. So I had to go with Claudio Sanchez of Coheed and Cambria. Ooh, good choice. Man has great driving vocals. He has great storytelling, obviously. He does the Amory Wars comics. I don't know if you guys have ever read any of those or not. Man is a fantastic storyteller. Uh plays amazing guitar there's so many riffs and stuff he's written uh obviously one that i really enjoy is just welcome home anything off of the dear sweet apollo of a burning star album is fantastic you know dark sentencer is another good one that i enjoy and you know this guy he just sits there he writes these songs these riffs he is classically trained on piano just a fantastic front man you, you cannot tell me when Welcome Home hits, you guys just don't feel that rush of energy just come over you. Oh, totally. Like, I that's mean, a, I, that sounds like my Spotify playlist, dude. Has to be. Oh yeah, I mean, and he just he writes such good lyrics. It's just, I mean, I'm not really listening to much Coheed Cambria, but what little I have listened to, it's good. Yeah, I'm oh, in yeah. that same, I'm in that same boat. But like, Welcome Home is, is a comfort food song for me. Well, like I said, and a lot of it is just a showmanship. The guy plays it on a double neck SG. You know, that's, and it's just crazy how the overall band itself just comes together for, you know, the show. It, it's it's not quite a big theatric performance like, you know, you would see with like an Alice Cooper or a Marilyn Manson concert, but it's just so good. Lots of high energy. There's just so much to it to their songs. And then, of course, my favorite two is one is another, and I know I probably butchered the song title, but there are so many good things. Feathers, you know, I, I can think of album after album, and I'm probably not giving them enough time or justice, but that's my number five. That's an that's an excellent number five choice, sir. And uh, now back back around number four, Byron, take the lead. Who's your my number? number my number four leads uh, singer is David Draymond of Disturbed. Oh, I know a very, I know a lady who would agree with you there. Yeah, I grew up all through high school as a very big, uh, disturbed one. And like, they've, their music has always just resonated with me. It's just, it's very emotional. Like, I'm not as in depth with like the, like the music as Jared is. Like, Jared, me and Jared, like, we have very similar taste in music. But, like, we both li- listen to it for two, di- or two different things. He looks at more for the actual te- te- uh, technicality of it. Uh-huh. I look, I'm more of the, I listen to music for, like, what emotions and stuff does it in, uh, admit to me. Yeah, how does it make you feel? Oh, like, I, it depends on the song, but, like, they're, the genre, like, they're, uh, the uh, music that they release, like, it just it invokes so many different emotions depending on the song. And, like, when it comes to Frontman, very few people have a distinct, like, you hear one thing and you know, yeah, I know exactly what that is. And mm-hmm. I would say for them, for David Draymond, it's his growl. Like, if you hear Down the Sickness open, you know that, oh, that's David. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he's he no such a distinctive voice. Yeah. He actually said that he he hates pl- having to play that song now. There's a lot of artists that absolutely hate playing certain songs. Like I know, uh, Brendan Urie hates uh, freaking Irate Sins, not tragedies. <laughs> I, that's because it's that's a whole thing. That's a whole different thing, probably. But it's uh, but like it's and the thing is also Davis showed that he's like not just a uh, like a metalhead. Like if uh, there's a lot of, some people aren't a fan of it, but like when he did his, his rendition of uh, Sounds of Silence, yeah. he he's got such. Like he's actually got a legit voice. Like it's uh, yeah, he's got a wonderful singing voice. It's just he's a very iconic person in the new metal genre. And mm-hmm. like I said, like, it's just like he's got I would very... definitely. Go ahead. I would definitely agree. He 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 has his place in a history of voices. I mean, he's just a unique color in all of this. And you can't you can never forget his snake bites. Oh Lord, yeah, you, you, can, you can see the man before. Yeah, it, it's wild to think. See, now you've got now you've got me humming uh, "Sound of Silence" over here. It's so good, <laughs> but that's for me. It's a David Draymond number four for me. It, it would have been higher, but it just there's other ones I had to put higher. Oh, I completely agree. And like I said, I, I feel like I'm over here sitting in my DeLorean while you guys are living in modern day. It's like these songs are so like these bands and these singers are just so majestic. Um, but my think, no, now, real quickly though, yeah, yeah. Like you say, we're in the modern day. Yeah, these bands are still like kicking and playing, but like most of these bands are like twenty years old now. Yeah, yeah. But then whenever I think like, so two different perceptions here of where you guys have your list at and where I have. Obviously, I put Claudio on my list. Because one, I enjoy his music and his production, and then you know the rest of it. You, you guys will see here later just where my list of characters fall. I'm excited for this. So, apologies for the interruption, there, Kyle. What is your number four? My number four, and you know what? Because I this list will not be all women. Believe it or not, it will not be all women. <laughs> but I'm including an, at number four another woman, and mine is Lizzie Hale. Uh, I, I got to see them at Black River Coliseum and Papa Buff in 09. Coolest damn show I've ever been to, for, for music at least, because they opened. Like, they were not the headlining act. It was uh, Papa Roach and Shinedown. Yep, and, uh, show. Yeah, and as soon as she like, she started singing It's Not You, I'm like, whoa. Whoa! Who is this? I don't know. I enjoyed. I get off. That was the. That was the first song that I fell in love with. And um, now I don't know if you guys have heard their uh, most recent single from last year, uh, "Back from the Dead." I believe me, my wife listened to it on road trip. Ah, so good! Like you know, because I had a I had a near death experience, you know, some years ago, as you guys know. Like that song, honestly, it resonates with me on a personal level. So um, I, I absolutely love that, and the, like the line "Hell, hell wouldn't hold me down" uh, does everything. But you ever, you ever think about this listening to them? Because the the band was founded by her and her brother RJ, who's the drummer. He's a sick drummer. Yep. But, and uh, girls literally uh, want to weep when he takes his shirt off. My wife just about did that when we went and saw them with Godsmack. But <laughs> like, but think about this though. Like a lot of the, a lot of their songs are kind of about her sex life. How does he feel? Like, oh, great, we're making another song about Lizzie getting laid. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he cares because he's probably getting laid from this. 
Oh, he, he probably is. He's the drummer. Of course he is. I don't know. Like, you gotta think the drummer doesn't get as many chicks as the lead singer. I mean, I, I mean, to be fair, it's like, both of them are very attractive people, and like he, he would have no problems. I mean, zero problems. No pun intended. She pulling dick left and right, probably. I mean, they're probably pulling it together. Oh shit! Like, period. But and honestly, she's like, yeah, she's like my third future ex-wife, anyway. Um. But yeah, I absolutely love me some Lizzie Hill, and I want to give a shout out to one of our one of my college friends, Ronnie, uh, for for introducing them to me, and she also introduced me to the band Sick Puppies. So credit there as well. Uh, but she, uh, Lizzie is is my number. That's who that's who I got next on my list. Jared, we await cheers, man. Should be good. Well, uh, the man that is my number four, and it makes you kind of question his sexual endeavors just. To- just because how wide the man's mouth is, Mr. Steven Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> there's so a reason, really guys. Back. <laughs> really there's a back. reason he cannot remember certain parts of the 70s. But can anybody really? Uh, I don't know. There's certain ones that can, but it, it makes me wonder. There, there's a reason why that guy's mouth is so big. But anyway, now the reason why I picked Stephen for is just because, you know, you had the Toxic Twins back in the 70s and the 80s. You had great iconic songs like Walk This Way, Last Child. You know, there, there is nary a catalog that I cannot think of of Aerosmith that is not iconic. Dude looks True. like a lady. You know, you had him and Joe Perry. Fantastic act together. And just Stephen puts on such a show. Because, you know, he's constantly moving around stage, you know, before his, obviously, issues with his vocals in more recent times, the man could hit some octaves that were just otherworldly, you know, dream on, you know, mm-hmm. old Uncle Salty, things like that. Pink's a favorite of mine. Pink, can't go wrong with that. Jaded, uh, obviously, man can write a power ballad like nobody's business, you know, got crying, you know, don't want to miss a thing is another big one of the 90s. It's the uh, best thing about the movie Armageddon. Oh, exactly. You know, that that's what I enjoy about him is the man just puts on just a clinic. Yeah. On stage and, you know, just gets the crowd so involved with it. But something about his voice is just so iconic. It's like you initially just recognize him. And then, you know, you hear his, you know, partner in crime, Joe Perry lead in there you can't tell me you can't identify by one of his riffs yeah those those with a keen enough ear definitely know and you're de- and you're one of those guys without a que- without question um also can we can we give steven tyler bonus points for giving the world live tyler oh absolutely also we gotta give him bonus points for being america's grandma <laughs> <laughs> Man, let me tell you, um, that that's that's a great choice. And Byron, you know, we're looking forward to year number three. Uh, now, like, I'm just gonna preface this with my before you know, my number one is solely for two reasons. Number one, all time goat. <laughs> number two, I don't want to get my ass kicked by 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 my uh, by my my lady best friend because she wears this man's tattoo on her. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, <laughs> so Byron, who do you got at three, man? All right, so for number three for me, I'm kind of doing a throwback to last week's episode. So number three for me is Kurt Cobain of, of Nirvana. Beautiful. Mm, beautiful choice. Like, I, I mean, 
you kind of go up stick mine's kind of like mostly stick to a theme of like these people are kind of had a big impact when they were like with their music and like what they did and i said last kind of my last week so i won't go into much depth but like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, like, they really pushed the envelope of, like, the whole, like, uh, they didn't give a fuck. It was like, we're going to do our thing. You're not going to tell us what to do. Well, and, like, they, they pretty much transversed the genre. They brought, you know, grunge to light. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, and I said, it's, that's why Kurt's at number three for me is because, again, of how, what, what all he did for the uh, metal and grunge genre and just, like, everything. So, like I said, like I said, I'm not going to much detail because uh, if you want more details on us talking about Nirvana, please go back and listen to last week's episode. So, for me, number three is Kurt, uh, Kurt Cobain. Kyle, what do you have at number three? I mean, Byron had a hell of a solid choice there. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Now, because number one, she, to me, is, is the greatest singer on God's green earth. I called it. I called it. But she can't be my number one. Of course. Can. Here we go. We're, we're popping up in Europe now. Go ahead, Kyle. Well, I don't know. Not just Europe. Is there a particular country you're thinking of here? I mean, any ideas? I mean, I, I'm going to let you go ahead and just say it. I mean, well, I already know what part of the world you're in. Well, coming from coming via the Netherlands, but repping, repping the gods of symphonic metal, Miss Flora Janssen of yep. Nightwish. I called it, folks. I said two, three. She, but she can't be my number one, but basically is number one because three through one on mine, you can't go wrong. There's no wrong. I mean, there's no wrong answers in general here, but oh, no, there's not. But and, and just a disclaimer, folks, this is our personal opinions. It's you can debate us on any other stuff you want. It's just who we feel personally. So this woman, and within two hours, are uh, being being asked to to fill in for Annette Oslin at Bakken Open Air in 2013. Learned an entire set in two hours, and is now is now globally known because of YouTube reactions. Yes, I, I've seen several of these. And she's got pipes. Well, it's got not. Definitely it's great not jobs. fair. Like I don't think she's even a human being. Quite honestly. Um, yeah, she took she took an already great song, Ghost Love Score, and which also uh, honorable mention for Thada Tharia, the original singer, gotta give honorable mention. Love her version of Phantom of the Opera, which I know some people don't necessarily like, but you know, a- apples and oranges. But she took Ghost Love Score and just destroyed it for anybody else. Nobody can sing that song again. I I don't I've seen a lot of reactions. I've seen grown men like brought to tears by her singing. Oh yeah. There was one. There was one guy that I watched react to the to that song, and as soon as she opened her mouth, he looked like he just melted. And a, a lot of vocal coaches who've reacted to some of those videos too, they're like, "This is not normal." Like, no, like it, she's it, not normal. And her, and even her work with After Forever, which was her uh, the band that she was known known for overseas beforehand. But yeah. because Nightwish is, is is the most you know I identified band for the the genre of symphonic metal outside of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but this is an actual band with, you know, that has songs with lyrics. Uh, she, man, I, it, it's hard to explain. She takes songs performed by the other singers, uh, Tardia and Annette Oslin, and then just steals them, basically. Uh, Greatest Show on Earth, that's hers now. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I, she did a rendition of The Greatest Show on Earth? Yeah. It's like a twenty-four minutes, twenty-four minute uh video. 
Oh, oh, oh! I, I, I think it, I just think it's totally different. I think the song, but like, oh yeah, I'm talking about like the uh, yeah, yeah, no. no. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I enjoyed Annette with Nightwish, but certain well, songs like stu- like live, she's not as strong as the other two. No, I mean there's certain things that she was good at, and I mean she has to have a second person there to compliment her. To, like, to be fair, like Lori from the Rasmus, she was very good with October and April, but she had a backing vocalist. Someone there to be the do the duet, and there's there's certain artists that you know once they're in the live setting they're not as solid as they are in the studio. Let's let's be fair though. Nightwish really hasn't had a bad front person. No, no, they really have not. I mean, honestly, you know, I think of like Nina back in the day, <coughs> the Islander for when oh, yeah. that first joined them, and you know, I, I can think of you know Planet Hell with Tarja. I can think of all these other different songs. Oh yeah, her version of Planet Hell is phenomenal. Now, now the cool thing about Floor is she has a per- her own personal YouTube page. You can watch her react to Ghost Love score. And when they when she get when you get to the the one part at the very end where she hits the note where everybody floorgasms, not orgasms, floorgasms, even it brings a it brings a slight tear to her eye. Like she is, she said, "This is my favorite song to sing." But not only that, she does her own solo versions of songs. Like she did a metal version of "Let It Go" from Frozen. Honest to God, guys, that's like for Floor to do her own cover, solo cover of "Let It Go," and it's metal is absolutely sick. She also does a really cool solo version of "Ave Maria." Like her voice has infinite range and infinite uh, flexibility. Like if someone asks, "What genres do you sing?" The answer is yes. Yeah, she put her down for all genre. She's not human. Plus, like, if you follow her on, on YouTube or just check out her YouTube page, she's probably this like, outside of the late... No, I can't believe I'm saying the late, baby. Like, it didn't happen, okay? But Floor might be the sweetest human being on walking God's green. Like, she owns, she owns, a, she owns a ranch in, in the Netherlands. She has horses. Like, she's an absolute sweet sweetheart of a human being. I just so, imagine her singing the metal as she's riding on horseback. Right. <laughs> If someone were to break up with me, I would prefer her sing it to me because I wouldn't even feel bad if that were to happen. You know? just be like, this is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'm sorry, but I understand. Can I show about your albums? <laughs> but no, she's my number three, but number one female uh, uh, lead vocalist. And it's not even close. So. Jared, I know I ran I ran for a while, but I could talk about Nightwish all, all day. See, you Facts. started that. You got me introduced to him. I need a cold bucket of water for this gentleman over here. It doesn't need to be necessarily a big bucket because he's a small man. I need a cigarette and I don't even smoke. Oh, God bless. My number three, um, once again, I'm still riding around in my DeLorean, is Mr. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Ooh. Well, you've become a lot more of a blues man in in your old age. I have. uh, I've become slowly more mellowed by it, but... You know what? Still can bang with the best of them. But the reason why I pick him for it is the man literally was the heart and soul of the band. He was the riff writer supreme. You know, you had song titles such as Texas Flood. You had Pride and Joy, Cold Shot. You know, man was literally playing the lead riffs and singing along with it. And I mean, that that's the talent that sticks out to me. Like, oh man, you're remembering these arrangement of notes and you're singing at the same time. 
And it's just so heartfelt. Like, obviously, I loved it whenever he would do, obviously, kind of like with Albert King. He did overall junction with him when he was younger, you know, playing along and different things like that. And it's just like, even then, the kid was a showman and had a voice. Mm-hmm. One of those guys that also, too soon, he should have been here still, way too soon to pass on. Well, completely agree there. Uh, when when I when I was a DJ at a Z ninety five the Bone, shout out to Bonehead Nation, Papa Buff. We had a show. There's a show called uh, Elwood's Blues Mobile, which will play on Sunday nights around, I believe, seven o'clock. I think it was, and it was a two hour show, and uh, you'd hear a ton of S, uh, SRV on there. And more often than not, you you'll just I would just find myself sitting in the studio and I would uh, just zone out for a little bit and and listen to the show. And Stevie Ray is some of is some of the easiest listening that you'll that you'll ever find, and it's so good for the soul. And that's oh, one yeah. thing I like about him. Like you could be in the worst mood, and uh, Stevie Ray is, is a fantastic pick me up. So oh, that that's absolutely. that's a wonderful choice, man. Well, thank you. Well, Byron, we're finally up to the last two. What is your number two? I know this is probably gonna be you two probably won't agree with this at all. At least Jared probably won't. But for me, I did some research in this person, and this person literally was not even supposed to be the lead, like, the lead singer. It's supposed to be a temporary fill until they actually found a lead singer. His name is uh, Yakim Broden, the lead singer okay. of Sabaton. See, I knew you were going to put that on this list. Folks, if you don't know, the man is obsessed with this band. I and... am. I'm a nerd at heart, and I love metal. I love history. And they are a band that literally combines both, so it's a it's a passion of mine. We and, don't we don't we don't judge on the music, but this is one of those circumstances not. where this is where it was to be expected. I, I'm honestly Byron. I'm surprised that he was not your number one. <laughs> my number one is somebody like you just can't. It's just not my number one is, is somebody you just can't. There's nobody that's been, ever been as good or better than this person as a frontman. Like, but again, said the thing is like uh, Joaquin. Is a he's very out there. He's very engaging of the um, the crowds. Like he's very iconic in what he is. Like when he pops on stage and he's wearing a Kevlar vest, uh, camo tracksuit, his shades, his mohawk. Like you just he's re- very recognizable. And uh, again, I give props to him as a lead man because he wasn't even originally supposed to be a lead man. <laughs> like uh, I've I watched a lot of their YouTube stuff, uh, history uh, on the band. And he, he's told that, like, originally he was just supposed to kind of, like, fill in until he found a legit uh, front man. But, well, it's kind of like with a lot of guitarists, too. You got to think. Uh, originally, you know, Malcolm Young was not supposed to be the guitarist for ACDC. Yeah. Well, not, and same way with Angus. You know, Malcolm came in. He was their, He was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to be the an original lead guitar. And then his brother Angus comes in and they're like, okay, you know, he would come in in a school uniform. That's why he wore the school uniform on stage. Yeah. And ended up taking over and being like, oh, well, your brother's going to be lead guitar because, you know, he's better. Than the lead guitar. <laughs> it's like, so we actually did a strong rhythm, but it was, it was kind of that same thing. You're like, you came in and expect, you, you had that placeholder spot in mind and Angus was never really supposed to be that guy either. Yeah. And like I said, it's it, when you, when I hear uh, the opening to Primo Victoria, just I, it's it's his growl, it, the growl in his voice is so distinct. And uh, like I said, it's it's there. 
again, I'm a, a fanboy. I will deny this one bit. I am a huge Sabaton fan. I've seen him live now, and like, I here's the thing: they've done some stuff that I've never, I've never heard of any band ever doing this. Like, I ask you guys this question: this. Have you ever had a band literally play the same song twice in one set? No. See, I, you're obsessed with him, like I, how I used to be obsessed with him. Kind of. And then I slowly veered and found myself into the time machine and traveled yeah. down the rabbit hole. But like uh, this most recent tour for me, again, it's kind of like really set, also kind of put me above this. Like they were, uh, they were, it was in Arizona, I think. I don't know. It was oh, somewhere over towards the uh, west side. And it was, they were doing their tour with, uh, at the time, they were doing their tour with, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Juice Priest. And Judas Priest unfortunately had to pull out because their lead uh, guitarist having heart issues. So Sabaton last minute had to come up with a and do a whole show by themselves. Once again, folks, uh, we, we we won't uh, criticize people on music, but uh, how do you forget Judas Priest? <laughs> I I it's, it's, I don't really resonate with Judas Priest in the sense of like I just not promote their music. It's just it's it's good, but it's just not my cup of tea. Breaking the law, man. <laughs> Painkiller. Thank you, sir. I just, it just doesn't, it's just not my thing. Jared, you and I have had many discussions about like, there's certain music, it's your thing, certain music, it's my thing. They don't just like cross over all the time. Well, there's no judgment there on that, but how do you forget, you know, they're so influential. They're, they're there's, a million, there's a million bands that, you know, we're leaving off of here, though, that I we know, all love. I'm, I'm stumbling on him over that because of the fact he, he couldn't remember the name of the band that they were supposed to play with. He could remember <laughs> Sabaton, but he couldn't the remember The thing is Judas this, I, like, here's the thing. I, Sabaton was the opener, and Judas Priest was the uh, headliner. I only cared about the opener, and the thing was, there was, there was a lot of people there who only wanted to see Sabaton and could care less about Judas Priest. And these are people, because I actually was in line trying to get a t-shirt, and a guy in front of me literally said, like, he didn't care about Judas Priest because he saw them back when they were in their prime. It's like, I've heard them before. I heard them way back, whatever. So it's, I've heard, it's okay. So anyway, the, back to this, my story. The, so the last minute put on a show, come up the whole set and whatnot. And they uh, did their set they normally would do. Uh, part of that set was Swedish Pagans. But the band was, uh, or the audience was going like later in the show was doing the kind of part of the opening for Swedish Pagans. So Sabine goes, and they did a second uh, playing of Swedish Pagans. It's, I don't know, it's just like, for me, it's just what he does and how he's interacts. He, he's, like, he's very high energy on the stage. And props to any guy who can freaking sing a metal song in a fucking gas mask. What? Yes. When they play, when they do their, uh, when they uh, do the, their playing of uh, March of the Dead Men, the band go back behind stage. They all put on gas masks, and uh, Joaquin comes out there in full trench coat, uh, flamethrower backpack, and he's literally wearing a gas mask the whole time he sings the song. Wow, that's actually pretty boss. No. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie, that sounds pretty tight. So like I said, oh. it's, it's it's a I won't lie. Like it takes this my number two with a grain of salt because, like I said, I'm a huge fan of them. <laughs> Maybe because I said I'm a big nerd. I love history, and I love how they present the history through their songs. And to me, it, it really resonates. So for me, number two is Joaquin. Kyle, what are you sitting at? You're number two. Now, somebody, there are people who probably will put their foot up my ass for this, but once again, no wrong answers here. 
I originally wasn't going to include this guy simply because he's known primarily as a solo act, but he did at one point have a band in the 1980s. Uh, at one point, he was only a symbol, and that's Prince. Prince and the Revolution, and it counts. No, I believe that counts entirely. I would, I would definitely die on that hill with you. And the cat and the catalog writes itself. Like I, I, you're you're old enough. You don't even need to go through Prince's songs. You already know the deal. Maybe the greatest Super Bowl halftime show performance of all time. How coincidental it rains at a Super Bowl when Prince is performing. Well, I don't even, from, from what from what I heard. From what I heard, it wasn't even on the uh, the lineup of songs to play. Purple Rain. So it started to rain, and then I, someone looked over at Prince, and he said, well, should we? And there you go. And <laughs> down in Miami, and they're playing Purple Rain. Like, you, you can't make that up. But he, and his, not just, you know, obviously his talent as a you know, guitarist, as a singer and performer, but his aura like, is it's, it's hard to explain. Prince is have- just Prince. Well, does Prince also kind of not give off those vibes of Hendrix in a way a little bit? You could put him in there. You can, you can, you can say that as well, but just because of how accomplished of a guitarist he was, that he was well, too. I mean, he, he's the kind of guy that could fill out a room, and he was like very musically inclined. I mean, the funny thing was, it was two days after Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, mm-hmm. Hendrix played it at the opening of a show when Paul McCartney was sitting out in the audience. That was kind of the same tier level that Prince was at. You know, he could fill an audience and he could play his ass off. Look at all the improvisation from the freaking Batman album that had the that was accompanying the Michael Keaton movie. Mm-hmm. Just he, it, as a crazy, kid, I did not. As a kid, I did not like that song um, for some reason. I couldn't like looking back. I couldn't tell you why, but I didn't like it. Now, I do have a Prince story to share about a song that was requested of me at a wedding. Um, I had DJ, you know, it was, this was our, as I, we mentioned him countless times and one day we'll get him on the show. Our friend, Matt Whitworth, he and his wife, Jenna's wedding, they will be uh, married seven years coming up this uh, summer. <laughs> I'm DJing the wedding. Yeah. I'm DJing the wedding. And one of, uh, one of my friends who I, who was a, one of my coworkers over at the radio station, uh, Chris, Chris Berger, he asked me, he goes, dude, I got a request. I'm like, uh, okay. And he said, you got to play Pussy Control by Prince. And oh, number God. one, number one, when you are entertaining a, an, uh, an audience, you need to read the room before you play music. And this room is full of, oh, like, let's be honest, older white women. Yep. They ain't <laughs> trying to hear no Pussy Control by Prince. And I look at him, I'm like, are you serious right now? Look at this room. Everyone, everyone's going to look at me real weird if I play that. And there are people here with children. No, <laughs> they they will find they will have some fine education after the song's over. Though. Yes, but uh, a little too young to be getting that kind of education. But regardless, <laughs> like I said, Prince is Prince, and but, you know having the revolution, not just the song "Purple Rain," the movie, like legitimately, Prince is the most effeminate. Prince was the most effeminate looking man that could take your woman, and you know it. At the end of the day. Facts. Like, period. Um, but that, yeah, he's my number two and would be number one on a lot of people's. But once again, no wrong answers here. The list, the R lists are fluid, they're subjective, all in good fun. Byron, now you got to hit us up, man. No, uh, so you no, skipped no. me. Uh, yeah, you oh, number two. Whatever. 
Number two, Mossman. Well, I'm going to travel kind of down the same path as Byron, but I'm actually going to focus on one drummer of that band, Mr. Dave Grohl. Ooh, dig it. Okay, he's my number two for the fact of the longevity of the Foo Fighters. Uh, just as an individual, man can play the hell out of the drums and also play the shit out of the guitar. But, you know, different things that stuck out to me over the years. One, obviously, whenever he broke his leg on stage, comes back that out, badass. finishes the show like a true beast. And then, you know, just different things of like letting people come up on stage, play with them. You know, the man is just a fantastic human being. Why but, I feel like metal artists are just a different breed. They are to a degree. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing with him. I enjoy, you know, his stuff with, uh, you guys know the YouTuber Mandy, the, the drummer. Not familiar. Well, he did a lot of work there. He had a challenge with her, you know, a little drum off. And, you know, he's just so connected to the audience. But there is so many other songs that, like, you know, you just think of, you know, Learn to Fly, Monkey Wrench, you know. There's just, it, it's hard to pick one song for that band because everything is just so good there goes my hero you know oh and you know what that song also gets me emotional but that's because i love the movie varsity blues and then of course you got the pretender you know actually you know that song turns 15 years old this year yeah that blows my mind too it just shows my old. Best like old. gross I saw this thing last night on Facebook. It was a uh, 15 songs that are songs that turned 15 years old in 2022. And that came up on, I'm like, wait a minute. Why did that, that song seemed older to me? You know, one, I forgot to say that's Dave Letterman's favorite song ever long. Is it really? Yep. That was the song that whenever they first came on a show, he played, he enjoyed them. You know, he, that his Dave Grohl's songs got, Dave Letterman through a lot of dark times and, you know, helped him uh, out with some stuff. And then, you know, at his last show, they played, obviously, the show, the same song they played for him the first time they played Everholland. Wow, that's really, that's really sentimental. I had no idea. Um, gives you, gives you more reason to, I mean, Dave Gross is just a complete badass and. Uh, Hell of a human being. Yeah, Absolutely. So now that we got that wrapped up, it's time. It's time, like Vader time, for our number ones. Except these Byron? guys have been more successful than Vader. Oh, <laughs> hey, like, hey, don't die. Like, uh, uh, watch your damn mouth. Like, I'm not dogging Leon. Don't you worry. You better. Damn not. We're talking WCW Vader, Boy Meets World, and New Japan Vader, not WWF Vader. I'm not talking WWF Vader. All right, you're gonna get me hot this morning, Byron. We got to know your number, your number right, one so lead frontman. I wasn't even thinking of this person until Jared and I and we were all on a phone call last night. We we're talking. That's like, you know what? I can't argue with this. Like this, is, like when it comes to iconic frontmen, there's none more out there, none more iconic, none with more range than this person. My number one is Freddie Mercury. Just to be safe on this one. Is the rest of everybody's number one Freddie Mercury? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it is just so hard not to give him a number one spot. It is just—it's it's, it's impossible. There's no one out there that like I can think of off the top of my head. At least, obviously, folks, if you can think of somebody, 
more iconic, more impactful than Freddie Mercury and his catalog. And more powerful, like, on stage. Like, I've seen some of his live stuff. And, like, just the way he connects with the audience. Like, oh, dude. There's nobody been close to that. The songs themselves. Just think about the emotion at Wembley with Love of My Life. Oh, my God. Or or it's like the the intro to uh, We Will Rock You. Like, just yeah. the opening keys in the crowd just goes right into it. Like, fat bottom girls. <laughs> and under pressure. Make the rock and roll go around, by God. Yes, like, they sure as hell do. Their catalog is ridiculous. Like, there's only a few songs. Like, I, I, I say, out of all of their stuff, there was like maybe one song I just, I can't, I just don't, I don't, I don't like. I mean, I, there's. Like, the show must go on. I mean, that's one for me I like that's not a really direct one. Uh, obviously, anything out of that one. You know, I'm in love with my car. Anything off that album. Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, I man, there, there is just so many songs that they have made iconic. Freddie you know, Mercury is, sing- is single-handedly res- – or uh, Bohemian Rhapsody single-handedly revived Queen's image in the 90s. Just by being in Wayne's world. Exactly. And then, of course, you got Professor Brian May. <laughs> it don't hurt to have in your band either. No, not at all. Man is a absolute beast as well. And I mean, uh, I just cannot think of one song I don't enjoy. You know, good old-fashioned lover boy. Uh, just so many different songs. I'd, I'd say the one song I just don't like, I don't really care for by them, is uh, I Want to Ride My Bicycle. I, I just don't care for it. Okay, uh, no, that song is hilarious because it's if you've ever seen the movie How, if you've ever seen the movie How High. Yep. I, I, just, I just don't bicycle. care for it. I, I just don't care for that song. That's I just don't. Where, where, that dude, where that nerdy dude's bike gets ran over and they play God damn it, it's so funny. <laughs> well, folks, there you have our top five front people. Uh, like I said, if you uh, if you want to sh- go ahead, sh- why don't you share, like, reach out to us and share your top five. We'd love to hear exactly. from you guys. And, and t- don't be afraid to take on the Freddie Mercury challenge. Find us somebody more iconic. And also, uh, and we're going to be posting those top fives on our Beards, Brews, and Bros Facebook page. And ladies and gentlemen, while we're plug- shamelessly plugging social media, we are on Twitter now. We are on the Twitter now. And, folks, we've already filled you out this morning. We wanted to hear what your top five are. We will definitely post this episode to the Twitter machine, and that way you guys can dissect us and thoroughly dress us down about our top five. <laughs> Bring on. Bring it on. We yes, want to hear from you guys. Some, at some point, we are probably very, very wrong. <laughs> just, I, I definitely give that. I, I'm about to say, I, I feel like most of the episode I traveled in my time machine was while y'all were sitting over near the Netherlands and across the pond. Over the hills and far away is more like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you see what I did there. <laughs> so why, why don't we go ahead and we dive into, you, you guys issued a challenge. You wanted me to, well, obviously we issued a challenge to each other, but listen to something outside of my realm of music. And obviously... One man had me subjected to a band that he absolutely loved, Sabaton. I yeah. listened to it. So just me- just for the just for the uh, just so we can like get the, let the listeners know the we uh, we each picked two different songs and we had everybody listen to them. So for me, the two songs I recommended to them were Sabaton's most recent release, Christmas Truce, 
and Beast in Black's uh, Froze, uh, Blood and Frozen. To be honest with you, Beast in Black's Frozen completely sounded like a Nightwish copy and paste. That's that's my first opinion on that one. And then Christmas Truce, I might as well have just been listening to another variant of Ailstorm or some of these power ballady metal bands that are now, you know, uh, it's, power, for, for me, metal. that's what it is. For, for me, like, with the, like, I kind of understand the Beast in Black one. For me, like, Beast in Black, they've had a very, like, I would say, like, uh, 70s techno feel to it. Uh, but like, what surprised me is like you you got you got no response out of Sabaton's uh, Christmas Truce because like that's such an emotional song. See, I appreciated what it was doing. It's just, it's to, just me, it, it, to, to me with a lot of their stuff. In the same way with any variant of power metal, it feels like the whole track is guided the same way. It's all in the same tone. I I need something a little bit different. I mean, I'm not knocking their work. It's a good song. It's just not where I would want to be at. And then, obviously, you two guys know what I recommended to you. Yeah. Well, quickly, I want to hear Kyle's take on the two songs I had. Dude, for like this, like Sabaton definitely felt like I was listening to Nightwish too, and that that's why I really enjoyed it because any, I just don't listen to them. I like symphonic metal in general. So this is def- this was somebody I wanted to throwing into my Spotify regular rotation. I, I was so impressed with your choice. So um, you guys watched the uh, listen. I, I, asked, I asked you guys to listen to the Beast in Black uh, without the video and then with the video. What was your thoughts when you heard the range of those lead singer? I want an honest opinion on that. I like the range. The range was good. I like the production value of the music videos. There was no no qualms there for me with that. I, no, I absolutely. Was uh, I, I guess it's just like my taste change. That's that's really my only thing there. Is, yeah, as, I, as I've said I'm earlier, folks. As I've said folk, earlier, folks. Me and Jared, like we're, we're brothers, but like when it comes to music, we both listen to for two separate different things. He's more the technical of it. I'm more the emotional side of it. Well, so, you know what? This I'll, I'll tell you the contrast. The two songs that I had these gentlemen listen to, one was "Dirty Honeys," another "Last Time." which is a very ballady song. And then I sent them a song that you're going to listen to when you're getting ready to fuck somebody up, Rival Sons, Get What's Coming. What'd you guys think well, of those two? First off, uh, Get What's Coming honestly reminded me of uh, You're Going Down by Sick Puppies, and it super <laughs> made me want to beat somebody's ass. Oh, dude, it gets you up and going just the way it's got that filthy, like, 70s fuzz and just everything else in the way. The breakdowns are whatever. It, it, it does he not kind of have a Doors sound to him as well too? <clears throat> the way the lead singer is. You know, I don't really gather um, a a a, feel, a Jim Morrison feel to it, but no, but I I really didn't. I really did like uh, your choice as well. I was thinking about another last time, guys. Pretty the revivals, like the, the revivals. I just was not really impressed with. It sounded like a very generic copy and paste of that genre. Uh, it's it's the technicality I'm looking at with it. Just that it, it's the fact that you know you have literally the guy coming in there. It's a and you know the breakdowns. Their drummer is putting in some work there, having to stop and start those chops so quickly like that. I, I said for me, it's like if it wasn't bad, it's just it just felt very generic. 
Well, what did you guys think about Dirty Honey, though? Did he not sound like an Axl Rose meets freaking Steven Tyler? Eh, kind of. Kind of? Kyle, what's your opinion? I I did I really I really dug it as well, man. Uh, once again, you guys have great taste in music, so I made sure to uh, get more of a of an ear for it. I put it into my Spotify because I'm never opposed to trying new things. Now, Kyle, I, I did enjoy your choices, though. I will oh, say I... that you know Daddy. nobody but Keith Sweet definitely Keith Sweat. Keith Sweat. Sweat. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was I was like a lie when I heard that one. I was like, okay, I could like. Like I could like lay back and just like just like just relax to this song. Like it was, it had some good, like, good vibe to it. I, I feel like at, at that point in the song, I should be seducting my wife with that song. That's, what right? I, that's the point. Yes, that's the entire point. Nineties R and B was a whole vibe, whole vibe. Like, this was I, the kind of song when you when when you heard the the, song, the beat drop, you had to go outside for about forty five minutes. Go on and go on and play with somebody. I'll be honest, um, I felt like I needed a cold shower after the first few minutes. I could have put you on a ton of of uh, music from uh, from that genre. Um, okay, now I better quit before I go make another baby. Uh, <laughs> oh goodness! No, but that that's exactly that was the whole the whole mood, the whole vibe. It's just ah, oh, so it, it's special. Well, it's in so Zero sad, Signal, I enjoyed that by Fear Factory as well, too. That was more in my wheelhouse. Definitely. And, of course, um, if, because as a kid, we only heard snippets of the song in the movie in our beloved 1995 Mortal Kombat. However, I, uh, one of my buddies out here, he told me, he's like, dude, you got to listen to that entire song. Like, listen to their whole album if you can. So I checked out the entire song, and it made me want to rage. It's, it, it's up there, like it's a fast-paced song. It's it's there to like really get you going. It definitely definitely bring more combat feeling because like there's not a whole lot of lyrics to it. It's just a lot of like just, no like, music, and it's like it's like it's definitely trying to like like be that kind of like arena music kind of thing. Do you know the amazing thing about that song being on the soundtrack to Mortal Kombat? Do you know who the curator of that of that that movie soundtrack was? I do not. Who? Done by of all people, George Clinton, from you know the you know Godfather of Funk in a lot of ways. It just doesn't add up, but like that song, and that you know what they picked the right uh, fight scene for a song like that. You know Johnny Cage Scorpion, like the second part in the Nether Realm, which first off looks badass and sounds badass. Well, Fear Factory was one like thought, you know that's kind of off the beaten path, and you know throwing it back a little bit. But like, what, like, what? I I thought it was a badass choice. And what were you guys' overall thoughts on it? Oh, I absolutely enjoyed it. It was good. It was it was a it was good like upbeat music song. And well, and I super appreciate that. So, uh, and so, are we going to make this a weekly occurrence? Just recommend uh, two different songs. Pick uh, our brand. How about this? Let's let's let the audience decide. Like I said, did you? What do you guys think of like us just kind of challenge to each other? And if, you, if the audience likes it, I said we could maybe do it every so often. I think so, too. And like I said, that would be a good option. And, folks, we would definitely like to hear as well what's covered for the future for our rewind segments and things of that as well. If you guys have any suggestions, anything like that, we will get a shovel. We will dig up anything. 
and yeah, scope I mean, it out. I mean, tell us what you want to hear. Like, if you got like recommendations for songs, what now? We'll be more than happy to listen to them, review them, and give our opinions on them. Oh, definitely. Exactly. Well, so, uh, yeah, I thought that was fantastic and a lot of fun. Uh, just, you know, trying and broadening broadening our musical horizons a little bit. So, what time is it, fellas? Now, I think it's retro rewind. Yeah, so, you got it right. And folks, we're now into the retro rewind. Where we're today, we're going to discuss about classic Pokemon games, and you know, great games with such incredible replay value, and you know. Obviously, I've had new life breathed into them thanks to different looks and approaches on them. And I'm going to let Byron kind of take the helm for the start of this segment. So, like, we grew up in that era where, like, Pokemon first came out. Like I said, uh, early thing, like, I remember uh, being Christmas morning and getting my first Game Boy Color. I got the lime green one with Pokemon Blue. And I, it was just, like, it was such a different game. A different kind of like thing. Like I've not really, I never experienced anything like that growing up until I picked up Pokemon Blue. Like it's just, and it spawns such an amazing different thing. Like like I like I said earlier, like a big uh, phenomenon. And like I said, we've been we're like in Gen nine now, I think something like that. And it's just that sounds about right. It's just been expanding ever since. Like so. Like Jared and Kyle, like, what was your first take with like the whole Pokemon, like original Pokemon? See, I got my first taste of it. This was probably Easter. I got the game. It was actually I didn't have a Game Boy Color. I got the Game Boy Advance. That is the first handheld console I owned, and that was one of the games that I wanted to go with it. So I had Red Version that I was playing on it constantly, and that was my first exposure to the game. But before that, I obviously had exposure to the cartoon and the trading card game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kyle? Well, for me, I, I was later to the games. That's because, yeah, I, like a lot of kids, I started with the cartoons, and I did not have a Game Boy. So I actually never had the games myself. On well, Where I got to play them was on the bus, on the way to school, coming home from school. And kids would either be playing Pokemon with their cards or somebody would sneak their Game Boy to school in their backpack or something like that, play it at lunch or on the playground or something like that. And my first, like that. Yeah, my first I, Pokemon, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, my first Pokemon game was Blue. Uh, and I, I always – now, I, Now my question is to, all, to you guys, you had to pick your first Pokemon out of the three. Who were you, uh, Squirtle, uh, Charmander, or uh, Bulbasaur? So we're going like the first one we've ever picked. The first one first we one. ever picked. Yeah, out of the out of the three. When, okay, when you're given your first choice. I, I already know who Jared, or who Jared picked. Yeah. Oh yeah, Byron. What did I pick? You picked Charmander. You know it, and I. Yep, I did. Dude, I, I, I was I was a I was a um, I was a Squirtle person just because when I fi- I first saw what each evolved version, what the fully evolved version of all three looks like. First off, dragons are are cool. But you're telling me that this little cute turtle evolves into a freaking massive tortoise with with water cannons on its back. Don't like, worry, Kyle. We're still waiting for you to evolve too. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's the thing for me. The first one I ever picked was Squirtle. Like so, I first loaded up. I got Squirtle, and but as years have gone on, I have become more of a Charmander person. Awesome. Um, See, I love how I just started out the gate with Charmander. What, why did you typecast me with him for? How did you get? It's just you. you. Like Charmander is just you. Uh, somebody that's hot, fiery, and passionate. 
I appreciate that. Oh, how sweet. Now, I got one for you. Out of the original 151, who is your favorite Mon of all time? Oh, God. I would have to pick the legendary bird out of my set. I would have to say Zapdos. Mm. Moltres. Alakazam. Well, that uh, I saw it coming. I, I, it, it's partly it's because in Gen 1, Alec, like Gen 1, as good as the game was, <coughs> it was broken. Like, it was not a balanced game. No, like, it was not. And Alakazam was probably the most broken mon on that game. Like, hands down, like, in the, kind of a little background for, like, in a little bit more depth for it. In the original game, uh, nowadays, whatever, you got, like, special attack, special defense. Back in the day, all you had was special. So, and Alakazam had a ridiculously high special. So, it's uh, special attack and defense were all mixed in one stat. Yep. Then, further, to incorporate this, crits were figured out by speed. So, and Alakazam had a ridiculously high speed. So, you had a mon with one of the highest special attacks in the game. With one of the highest speeds in the game, so you would get off one of the most powerful, like say, pop a psychic attack, and it would almost guaranteed every time just crit. And yeah, like say, Alexander was just busted in that gen. I would definitely agree there with that. Uh, what's your guys' memories of rare candy farming? I remember. Doing oh that. shoot, I didn't rare candy. I mean, like the uh, missing no glitch. Yep. Oh, that was dangerous because like uh, it would. If you did the missing no glitches, it would mess up your um, game for like link battles. See, I never had that issue. I could still link up and do everything else, and I could. Oh, I, I, yeah, well, no, I, I would be um, some major glitch issues for me. See, like I, be... we, we always had like I remember being at the baseball field. Uh, I think it was freshman year. Uh, me and I think Brent Parson was the guy that was there. We were trading some Pokemon and stuff, you know. Years later, you find people that you could trade with that you never even had the opportunity with back in the day. And then you're like, oh, hey, did you know about this cheat? And it's like, yeah, the missing no cheat. And it's like, yeah, no problem trading different things that way. Finding the only time that if you ever had an issue with your trading or breaking the game is if you tried to catch the missing no. Yeah, I was I was an idiot that did that. Oh, did you know that missing no actually evolves into king of... Yeah, I did not end up catching the missing note. I left alone. You you only need to see it, and then you just need to escape. That's yeah, it. Yeah, I Fal- never G- did anything else with it because that's the only – you can actually catch Mewtwo there as well, too. Uh, it, it was random. Like, it depends on – it really was random what we could find there. I remember finding a level of, like, uh, what, like 201 near Rain uh, there. Yeah. Like, uh, it's just like say it was. You had to be really careful about those ones. You would occasionally get like the really high level Pokemon. You're like, oh, this is broken. Yes. <laughs> and, and you you would occasionally get some that were below that tier mark where you could catch them. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? Did you ever experience any of these glitches? No, I actually didn't. Um, but what I do remember about like you mentioned candy farming, that was the first. That was like my first instance of grinding in a game. And I, as a kid, I hated it because I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere. This is annoying. Like, what am I getting out of this? But that that was the first time that, you know, actually grinding for towards a, a goal uh, felt, you know, worthwhile for me. Um, oh, one thing I always enjoyed doing was grinding. I'd stick to like, if you want a man who can grind, this man here, like, I kid you not. Like, we tried years ago, tried to do, like, a versus and like he just, I, I couldn't keep up with him. Like he just out grind me. It's like, mm-hmm. God, this. Is- I would pick a level. Like I already had my. Uh, so I, I started out with Totodile in my Gen two, 
And it was like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing really good here. And I'm like, well, I'm already at this gym. And I'm already at this level. And he's like, how? I, <laughs> like, I already had my fully evolved, like, fearless at, at, Yeah, at, at, at freaking gym two, he's already got a, a tier three mod. It's like, dude, how, how much <laughs> are you grinding? And, like, the levels on those mods, like, in like, the final wild aren't that high. And it's just like, I have a really good knack to grind. And, and speaking of, like, Gen 2 stuff, there's a glitch in this <laughs> one where you could duplicate Mons. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Nuts. Oh, yeah. So, it was also a duplicate item. So, you, what you did was you took your Mon, placed in the box, um, and then you, what you do is you go, to, you try to switch your box to save, and before it fully saved, you shut that uh, game off, turn it back on, it would duplicate the Mon, so it'd still be in your uh, party, but also in the uh, PC box. Yep. So, like, the early gens were kind of busted and glitchy. But I mean, these... that was a good way to clone out, though, for trading, though. That was the nice oh, yeah. thing about that glitch. Oh, yeah. But also, because... like, go ahead. I was just, like, also, it was like, uh, like, hunting down the legendary. Nowadays, I don't know. We're like, uh, was a pain in the butt because they'd like, always run away. So, like, it's one way to get, oh, I have the Master Ball now. I'll just duplicate it infinite amount of times. I can catch anything I want. That's how it was with the rare candy and, you know, the missing note sheet. I had infinite master balls in the first game. Yep. Although, but I, uh, going on to like the replay value of those games, like even to this day, it's like a lot of people still go back and play those just for a like, simple nostalgic factor. But one thing about Pokemon games is, is they're very linear, what they are and what you can find and stuff like that. So, like, Sometimes I like, it's kind of boring. Really a bad thing though, because oh, sometimes less is more. You, well, here's the thing: if you, if you're playing a game and you're like, you know what, I've played this game, I've done it this way, I want to try doing it this way. So mm-hmm. that's like when if the game's linear, what what you can find in the wild, it's kind of and you can't find certain mods like late in the game, like you really want to use your team. Like, it's kind of like I want to use these mods early in the game as much as possible. Like I, I mean, like me personally, I would love to have an early game Abra, it just like an Alakazam later on in the game, like mm-hmm. maybe. But get granted, like in Gen One, you get it. In Gen Two, you get it pretty early. But like, or like say, like uh, in Gen One, you couldn't get Growlithe until super late in the game. Yep. So it's like you couldn't get like these mods like you really wanted to use. So like some things, people have done some really cool things where they've made it where you can actually randomize the whole game. You can take the- see, it can sometimes be a really good thing, or in the case <laughs> of the other night when Byron was playing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, last night we were working on this, uh, trying to do some like uh, recording stuff or whatnot, and uh, I started. I did a, I'm doing a Soul Silver randomized Nuzlocke, and my starters were a Elekid, Nidoqueen, and Polion. I told Jared pick me my starter. This asshole gave me fucking Elekid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the thing, folks. Like for randomizers, it's when I say they randomize everything, they randomize everything. Like you could be like literally first route. Find a freaking Mewtwo and be like, oh, I might be screwed here. And like, I've already had, and I think it's like those, those people who are familiar with Nuzlocke, and Nuzlocke is essentially it's a self imposed rule set to make the game <coughs> harder. Like, uh, essentially, it's instead of being able to go to a route and catch wherever you want to, you're only allowed to catch the first Mon you find that route. So if you don't catch that Mon, you don't get anything out of that route. And if your Pokemon faints, you're done. You can't use it. I've already had like four or five deaths already. And that, it's a whole thing. There's a whole subgroup to it. Oh, yeah. And like, there's even more ones. There's the hardcore randomizer Nuzlocke's where uh, essentially you can't heal in battle. 
Oh, that's that, a, that's got to be intense. Oh, it's intense. Like there's some people who like literally have done like 50 runs in one game streaming it. Mm. Like it's it's again these little stuff. Like I was originally not a fan of these kind of things. But let's start doing them. It's like you know what? This actually makes it a lot more fun because you get to, you play the game so differently. Like when you can like you pick up my fancy, you heal it. Go oh yeah, no big deal. But uh, for when they just re released uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and uh, Shining Pearl, mm-hmm. I. I, I was like, you know what? I played the original games. I'm going I'm to Nuzlocke this. I did my Nuzlocke. I had a good, solid team of six going into the lead four. I made it all the way to the champion. Final Mon got wiped. Cleaned you, huh? Oh, no. Like, I, I've never seen a uh, Elite Four as the like, brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl Elite Four. It's challenging. Granted, like, Gen 4 is not my gin. But like I'm telling you right now, like it was a it was brutal. It'd be like I made it this far, did really good in the Nuzlocke, and then got wiped in the champion. Mm. But it's it's a it's the self imposed again. The self imposed rules like they, they changed the element of the game to be like instead of be like oh my Pokemon fainted whatever I'll revive it. You go oh I have to play very carefully. And be like okay can this attack if I keep this mod in here can this attack kill me or be like okay. I I'm getting the, this uh this mod is like this Pokemon facing it's it's just wrecking me like I can't get enough damage that possibly dying so it's like do I sack this uh, different mod off to get a clean switch in like these things like this like all like change the game up and like there's other variants of this there's like a Soul Link where you and your partners uh, you and one other person they play the game, like a co-op version of the game walking through it like they'll play one copy of like say white you'll play black. And you'll like link your mods together. Where like if your partner's mod dies, your mod dies as well. See, that's brutal. Oh, it's very. That's like, a butt fucking. <laughs> oh, I was that, like, that's that's rage quit inducing. Oh, it, it can be because like uh, imagine this: like you're you're, par- you're pairing up. Like uh, we go to a route. I catch a Mewtwo. You catch a Weedle. I have to rely that's on you not to let that Weedle die, so I keep my Mewtwo. That like, that's some saltiness. <clears throat> yeah, and there's things like uh, another version. It's called Cage Lock, where at, uh, after every gym, you both will send a, uh, one mon into a one-on-one fight. And uh, if you lose the fight, you lose that mon. But another self-imposed rule in that uh, version is uh, where you're, uh, you can't give TMs to Pokemon. You can't give held items. Uh, so, like... Going through a game where you're like you're getting some really great TMs, but you can't add them to your mods, can like really like be detrimental, especially for certain mods that don't learn good moves so late in the game. So yeah, like that's I said, pretty rough. Yeah, so like it's it's uh, all these different things like in elements like people have self imposed like, the community as a whole of like come together and created like really like change the replay value for Pokemon. Like, it, it 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 breathes fresh life every time you play it. So like again, it's it's Pokemon community as a whole. Like they've done some amazing things for like these like I said, self imposed rules. Like uh, there's actually a whole community that literally go through take um, take the games, and they add in like uh, custom forms. Hmm. Like they completely change the forms of the uh, Pokemon, change the typings too. Like Pokemon as a whole, like I said, the base games they're great, but like. The longevity of the games a lot come from like the own community themselves. A lot of self created content. Oh yeah. Well, and guys, that I think great. I think this was a hell of an idea to go over on the rewind. <laughs> oh no question. 
And because Pokemon is a universe is universally beloved by multiple generations, so everybody has fond memories of it. And folks, we definitely want to know yours. So once again, you can email us at beardsbrewsandbros at gmail.com. You can message hit us up on on our official Facebook page and follow us on Twitter as well. We definitely want to hear from you. Absolutely, folks. We we definitely want to hear anything you have to say about it. And we definitely want to hear your opinions on the episode and the review of these songs and everything. So we, that's a definitely an exciting thing to look forward to every week is just to see us at the Rewind. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that ties into our good old catchphrase. And what is that, Mr. Mossman? Folks, and as always, be kind and always please rewind. We'll see, see y'all next week. week. Love, peace, and chicken grease. <laughs>